Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. It's a Saturday night, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the Gospels, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 5 of the book of John. If you'd like to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. After this, there was a feast to the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, um, whether it's being whether the people being referred to as Jews here are people of Jewish descent or are people uh, who just happen to be residents of the area of Judea or Judah, any one of those things, they're collectively known as Jews at this point by this by the narrator here, narrator here or scribe, whoever it is, presumably John is passing along a message to us. But we've also seen, like with the woman at the well, she also is a descendant of Abraham. And she even thinks of, and by quoting her, at least the, uh, her quote is that um, she sees herself differently, even though she also is a descendant of Abraham, uh, differently than the Jew um, that Jesus is considered to be, because she says Samaritans have no dealings with Jews. Um, even though we know in the Old Testament that um, Samaritans of uh, Samaria was the capital city of Israel, the Ten Kingdoms. So, um, but just so you understand what that word means, it means many different things, talking about many different people. But this particular incident of it is the feast of the religious um, people known as the Jews. The religion Jesus himself was born into, though it's not the same religion, if you want to think of Christianity as a religion, um, that he was born into. It's a totally different um, uh, belief system in the way of approaching God, but it has roots, or at least some seeds, in the um, belief system that Jesus was also born into. At least that's my understanding of it. Verse 2. Now, uh, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. So um, we're talking about a holiday, uh, that feast, of, uh, and there are people gathered together at a particular place, this pool. Verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. So the pools uh, was popular, not particularly just um, in the sense of it'd be like a public pool where people could go and cool off, or like the pool that the so-called oracles would use in different Greco-Roman um, mythologies and also histories um, where people would get a spiritual lift or enlightenment through different sorts of bodies of water. Instead, it's this for in this version instead it's people the sick and the blind and the lame approaching the pool of water so they could get healing so it was the same sort of thing where people were approaching the waters for uh, a spiritual healing moment some revelation or some way of trying to get in touch with god presumably to get a response from god for the faith people are expressing in god um, 
verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So the narrator here is letting us know that at least one incident of some sort of supernatural healing occurred there, and that that's the reason, reason that the infirm sick and the blind and so forth were gathering there at the pool because there was at least a prior incident of that happening and people were hoping the miracle because they saw it as a miracle clearly would be repeated in them if they showed up at that same pool people are, are trying to get help however they can get it verse 5 now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years so um of all the people gathered there, there was someone who was 38, who was um, at least 38, for at least 38 years of his life, he'd been dealing with some sort of sickness. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? So uh, Jesus sees there's a whole bunch of different people gathered around there, presumably, that are sick and need help. He goes to the, this one person in particular and asks him, do you want to be made well? So um, Jesus is asking him, does he want some help? Um, not assuming anything about him. Um, like we said before, when sometimes people have approached Jesus, um, what we see or what's obvious to us physically that they're dealing with isn't necessarily the thing that Jesus uh, um uh, addresses when they come in contact with him. Sometimes, for instance, like there'll be someone who's uh, uh, physically disabled and they'll approach Jesus and Jesus will, one of his first things, um, Jesus will say to him, like in Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 9, is that son, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus approaches, addresses the person's spiritual needs first off before even handling the more uh, obvious physical needs that people have sometimes. In this case, uh, Jesus is asking him, does he want to be made well? First thing Jesus says to him, what does he say in response? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. So the man doesn't answer Jesus' question about does he want to get made, be made well or not. The man instead tells Jesus, presumably because he doesn't recognize Jesus' divinity, uh, he instead tells Jesus what he wants Jesus to know, that from where he stands or where he's trying to stand, from his point of view, he hasn't been able to make it to what he needs to get to because there's nobody to help him. He doesn't have anyone to physically help him get to the place where he believes there's help for him at. Uh, it, I guess it'd be the same way of needing to get to the hospital, but not having, not having a ride to get there. Um, he knows where it is he wants to be. He's just not able to get there. But that doesn't answer Jesus' question. Jesus' question was actually a more simple one than that. Does he want to be made well? So, verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. So I guess since Jesus didn't get an answer to his question, 
he um, about and does the man want to be made well? The obvious answer, I guess, would be obviously yes, he does. He's trying all he can to get into that pool that he thinks is going to help him. But Jesus didn't presume anything, assume anything. Instead, he asked him if he wants to be made well. He didn't get an answer. So instead, Jesus gives him what it is he knows he wants. He doesn't, and I think, doesn't end up just being a legalist, thinking, well, since the command is asking, you shall receive. Um, since you didn't ask, I'm not going to give it to you. Instead, Jesus still gives him what it is he sees he needs, even though he didn't answer the simple question of, does he want to be made well? But Jesus answered, um, not even answered, because the man wasn't asking any question either. He was just stating where he was at. He didn't see any hope for himself. Um, so Jesus lets him know, um, just get on up and walk. It's so letting him know instead of any other words, showing him through the action of the miracle that uh, Jesus is able to give it to him. He's able to give him what it is he's actually there for, the healing, the restoration of being healed let's see verse 9 and immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked and that day was the sabbath so uh jesus did more than talk the talk he walked walk in producing the miracle of help that the man wasn't even asking for the man was there trying to get help however he could get it from somewhere else not christianity but somewhere else like i said before about um people with other religions, that may just be the seed that God has planted in them for them to understand there is something higher. And that's just how people start off. That doesn't mean that's where they will always be in their walk throughout life. My experience as a Christian certainly hasn't been that way. But um, verse 9 shows us that the man got healed just like that even though he wasn't even asking for it so it's not like he had any faith in Jesus or Christianity but it's Christianity that took the miracle to him but let's, let's see how it develops verse 10 the, oh, oh, the, the one on overlook the last part of verse 9 um, the day that it happened on was the Sabbath the Sabbath is the day of rest um, it means it's the sort of um, religious day of rest where you're supposed to chill on that day. You're not supposed to work. We're not supposed to make any of your servants work. Sort of like how that one tasty chicken place that uh, was showed themselves bigots back in the day, but it more recently walked away from some of that stuff. Really tasty chicken sandwiches, that place. Um, um, how they do on the Sundays that they're closed to show... Um, uh, sort of public show of their um, faith that they believe that that's the day you're supposed to rest on. So they are closed on Sundays. Uh, at least that's what they used to use as their rationale. Um, so the, in that, in the same way, there's the understanding that you're not supposed to do any work on Sundays on the day of rest on the Sabbath, whichever day of rest you call that in your uh, religious belief system. They believe that that's the day that you're not supposed to be doing any work on. Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it is, Wednesday, whatever day your faith is, whatever day it is to them back then of the week, they're saying it's that day and you're not supposed to do any work on it. That's based on the religious uh, dogma or statutes and ordinances and things that have been set up in the Old Testament 
including in the law with the Ten Commandments. The others get tacked on with the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, but remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy is one of the big ten. Um, so they're saying Jesus is breaking that commandment um, by performing the miracle of healing, the not him performing a miracle, but telling the man to pick up his bed and walk. So on that technicality, they would like to uh, accuse Jesus because it is one of their laws. You aren't supposed to do any work. Carrying things around like a bed would be considered work. And in that way, he's breaking the religious law. They are the law enforcement. They benefit from the law enforcement. They are enriched by enforcement of the law because the people have to pay fines in a way um, to them for breaking the law to make themselves right in society again. Um, so the religious authorities have a, a, a reason, a cause to be upset with what's going on. Um, they also have a reason to rejoice. The man is healed. He's able to walk again. And they are supposed to be the people leading people to God. So shouldn't that matter more? Isn't that what's more important? Wouldn't God Almighty, who's put the person through, presumably put the person through having to be 38 years infirm, wouldn't that same God who's showing up now to produce a miracle be happy that the person is now able to walk and be happy for them to be happy for him. But they're not focusing on that. That's not where their heart is for what's happening. Um, verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So again, that's the religious um, rule that you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So the man's just retelling to them what happened to him. The person who healed him told him to take up his bed and walk. And so he's letting them know, hey, some mir a miracle did happen. Some, the, I don't understand. I understand I've offended you by taking up my bed and walking. But the person who gave me the healing that I came here looking for, uh, he told me to do it. So... He's basically saying, don't look at me. Look at the one who told me to do it. I'm just healed. Verse 12, then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So now, I guess the thing to realize there about, thankfully, for clarity, the word man there in chat verse 12 is capitalized. So let us know it's referring to Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the punctuation and everything isn't necessarily consistent throughout the whole Bible, um, just as a footnote. But they're asking, who's the person who told you that? Knowing, if we're going to go by the punctuation, that Jesus is the one who healed him, and Jesus is the one who told him to take up his bed and walk. Um, so he, they're asking him, who's the one who told you that? Who's the one who told you to break that law? Because, again, it's a religious law. And if you break it to make yourself right again, you have to pay the fine. Sheep, chickens, goats, water, uh, not water, excuse me, wine, <laughs> not water, wine, but to be given to the religious authorities if you offend or to please in a certain way. All those different things, money, it's all these different things that are already laid out that if you break their law, they're allowed to cite you for breaking it. And 
for you to show up to the holy place again, you have to make sure you pay that fine. We've read about him in our Old Testament readings already. Verse 12, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. So um, the religious authorities are asking the man who's walking around carrying his bed because God bless him. Jesus was able to heal him and make him able to walk around again. They're not concerned with that. They're concerned with their law being broken and who it is who's told this man that it's okay to break it. They know that it's Jesus, So, but they need the witness to identify it as Jesus, the one who did it. Because, again, they have the religious authority and they are after him on religious law, legal, re legally religious grounds, but they need the witness to accuse him of being the one to break it, even though Jesus didn't, uh, Jesus has told him to take up his bed and walk. The man didn't have to do that if he didn't want to. If he wanted to be disobedient and not, and keep that religious law, he didn't have to pick up his bed and walk. He could have just kept laying there and looking for hope in the pool and maybe he would have gotten it, but he had a way right there before him and he took it. Um, so I think the message in the big picture grand scheme of things is to recognize that everything that we call religious isn't Christianity. Um, feel free to try and make your way by those other things because sometimes you can. We saw in it and like we read, there's an instance of it where someone there showed up at the pool and got healed. So I don't blame anyone for trying to get to God however they can. Jesus, I believe, is letting us know as Christians, though, that he's the way to get to God, to get to, for us as Christians, to get to God, the way, the truth, and the life, to quote him. Um, let's keep reading. Verse um, 13, let us know the man who was healed didn't know that it was Jesus. Uh, so in that sense, he was saved, he was protected through his ignorance, that he didn't know of Jesus' divinity or reputation. He was trying to get to the pool for his healing. The healing just came to him instead. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing upon you. So uh, Jesus could have played it safe and just uh, taken safety in the anonymity that people, the man didn't know who he was. But Jesus instead boldly went to the man and let him know, oh, okay, you don't know who I am, but I'm letting you know who I am. And I'm also giving you a message that if you want to stay healed of what it is I've delivered you from that you weren't even looking for, if you want to enjoy the grace that's been shown you through that, then don't go back to your old ways. You've been shown a glimpse of light. A seed of God's goodness has been shown to you. If you want that to continue, you're at a crossroads. Continue to walk in the light and avoid what had you before, what had you bound before. Or you have the choice to cast your net on the wrong side of the boat, the boat instead of the right side and walk in that foolishness that had you caught up before and see where it'll take you next time. Next time something even worse is going to happen to you. If you don't go ahead and acknowledge and see and enjoy the light and choose to instead walk in darkness. But the choice is yours. Jesus is even letting him know that. 
the choice is his. Like the, we've talked before about crossroads. They're there and it seems that God is watching to see which ones we'll take when the paths are laid out for us and when warnings are laid out for us for certain things, even divine interventions for certain things, will we still choose to walk in darkness? And Jesus said, men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And it seems to me that's what Jesus is pointing to the, for the man who wasn't looking for healing or help from him, but he got it anyway. He's letting him know the light's shining on you. The spirit is showing up to you. Uh, which way are you going to go? Are you going to still choose to walk in darkness and end up even worse off than you were when I met you? Or are you going to walk in the light? A crossroads, verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So the man, is he rejoicing, thanking God, being praiseful, and not thanking Jesus enough for the help that he gave him that he wasn't looking for? No, instead, he's ratted him out. He's went right back to the legal authorities and let them know the person they're looking for is Jesus, the one who told him to uh, rise and take up his bed and walk. Uh, who was able to produce the help he was looking for when he was at the well, at the pool in the first place, was Jesus. So the man hasn't shown any loyalty to Jesus at all. It's actually just the opposite, treachery. Really kind of uh, toxic human nature. Verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. So um, the narrator here is letting us know that the legal authority, the law that the religious authorities were using to cite against Jesus or incite people against Jesus, public opinion, uh, for instance, against Jesus, uh, was the fact that he's offending, breaking their religious law of doing the work on the Sabbath, that you're not supposed to do anything at all considered work on your holy day, whatever holy day you want to call it. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father's been working until now, and I have been working. So Jesus isn't cowering. He's not hiding away or um, uh, uh, pretending like he doesn't know they're after him. Instead, he's boldly addressing them again and again and again. And now he's even addressing the religious authorities saying, I see you. And my father sees you, and God, who you call yourself the children of, the Father, God Almighty, sees what's happening and has been working and putting things in order, I believe is what Jesus is saying uh, with, with this statement, with this verse. And he's saying, and he also has been working, Jesus too has been working, um, saying, I think, painting God's big picture of things and how they should unfold. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is doing nothing but racking up uh, bad blood between himself and the religious authorities. He's breaking all their rules. They have the one about the Sabbath and the keep it holy. Uh, and saying that Jesus has offended in it and telling the man uh, to who he healed to uh, get up and be healed. Uh, they're not happy with that. 
not paying any attention to the fact that he healed someone and a miraculous healing happened. Something they wouldn't be able to produce because if they could, the man wouldn't have been waiting around there at the pool to get the healing that way. They're not addressing that at all. They're hypocrites, acting, pretending to be righteous like Bible thumpers in modern times. It's kind of crazy. Um, but they're trying to do all they can and have found reason to say that Jesus has offended in their religion. And I don't want to count with the Sabbath, but also in saying that God is his father. Um, and in that way, the narrator is saying, in that way, saying that God is our father, um, makes us, makes anyone who says that God is our father equal with God and also offends in their religion. Verse 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself what he sees the father do. Whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So Jesus is saying he's not doing the things he's doing just by some whim. He's doing them because they're the things that God Almighty, the singular Almighty God of all creation, the one, would have him do. He's saying, and he's doing those things because those are the things that God wants to be done. And actions that God Almighty would have being uh, manifest and come to pass. Verse 20, for God, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So Jesus is, I think, in this verse, these verses, uh, claiming the unity, the oneness with God Almighty, and that the actions God would have manifest in the turn of events in the time of humanity um, are happening because they're being manifest at the hands of Jesus and through Jesus acting as God in the flesh for us as people to note, take note of and be convinced by um, and marvel at, wonder about, and clearly that's worked. It's been almost 2,000 years and people are still trying to figure out what it is Jesus' message actually is for humanity. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. So Jesus is saying in the same way God has exhibited power to bring people to life, to raise people from the dead, and that, there's examples of that inside the Bible, outside the Bible, throughout history and in modern history. Just in common, in a common, in a non-spiritual religious way, people are raised from the dead all the time in the sense at the operating table or even in an emergency room or even in emergency situations when the ambulance shows up and people have the power to use different instruments uh, with technical knowledge um, not necessarily spiritual technical knowledge, but medicinal knowledge and inject something and bring people back to life or use defibrillators and bring people back to life. So there are ways to bring people back to life. Jesus is saying the ones that are successful in it happening. I think Jesus is saying God is the one empowering those times for it to happen for people to be raised back to um, uh, from the dead, being brought back to life. And I also think that shows to us um, that even though some preachers will tell you, most preachers even will tell you to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord. 
Well, that's not true according to Jesus. When Jesus gave us the example of Luke 16, where two people passed away. Uh, one was taken to the flames. The other was taken to Abraham's bosom. And neither was taken to the presence of God Almighty, the Father. Jesus himself, even, when crucified um, after the crucifixion and um, before, and after the resurrection, neither in either place, he expressly, he actually, after the resurrection, he expressly says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. And that's been days after the crucifixion, at least three. So um, that's just one more popular lie that religion has people believing. But it's contrary to what Jesus actually tells us, among other things. Um, but Jesus is letting us know God has that power to raise people from the dead. And so does he. God has endued him with that power through his mission, through his ministry, as part of his mission and ministry to help buttress his uh, words and his ministry the power to raise people from the dead. Jesus has been given that power is what Jesus, I believe, is saying through these verses. Um, and Jesus flexes that power just like God does to let some people live through terrible times uh, and pandemics and accidents and near-death experiences and then not let others live through it at all but be taken away. The same Father who has that power, God, Jesus is saying he has that power too. Verse 12, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. So that is probably one of the, probably one of the most popular lies that people say without even realizing they're saying it. When people say, even heathens, people who don't believe in uh, any sort of religion at all will say, only y'all can judge me. Well, Jesus is letting us know right here in plain English, because that's the translation we're reading, uh, that the Father judges no one. No, God's not going to judge you. No, when you get to some white throne, it's not going to be God that's sitting there in judgment of you. Uh, it's Jesus who judgment has been committed to. So people think and will repeat it again and again and again in ignorance that God can't judge or God is the judge or God's going to judge you. No, no, God's not going to do any judging at all. Jesus, only Jesus, is the one who's going to do any judgment at all, judging at all. That's where Jesus is making it clear here, even though many people who say they're Christians uh, will repeat that God judgment thing again and again and again, and white throne judgments with God, or, or as soon as you die, you're in a presence with God to be judged, or if you murdered someone, God's going to be right there to judge you. No, not according to Jesus. Those are all lies. Yet, try telling people that. People will argue you up and down with the lie. That's contrary to what Jesus is saying, and they will call themselves Christians. So God bless you. Let's keep moving. Verse 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So how are you going to honor the Son accepting these red letters that he came here to bring us? And if you, how are you going to dishonor the Son? You're going to ignore these red letters that he came here to bring us, even died for, resurrected for disciples died for the message to be carried on, uh, even though they weren't always necessarily faithful to it any more than we today are always necessarily faithful to it, but they still did their part. Uh, in that way, that's how you're going to dishonor him. So if you're going to still go around and have the belief that only God can judge you, 
And even if you're just saying that flippantly, knowing that it's not true now, or but still not, but still saying it and believing it, you're reinforcing, manifesting a lie. And you're in that way using your voice to say that you actually condone that lie. You actually back that lie. You put your energy into manifesting and maintaining that lie. Even though even right now, you know, according to Jesus, God's not going to judge anyone at all. All judgment has been left to the Son, according to Jesus. And if we're calling ourselves Christians, then we have to believe that that has to be true. And if it's if we say that we believe it and it is true, but don't actually live by it, then uh, we're actually dishonoring Jesus as he's telling us here. And in that sense, dishonoring God, because Jesus was the one sent to bring us the message, to bring us these words. Verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So if you've read with me before, you've noticed why I've left out one certain word verbally, vocally, um, audibly saying it out loud as we've gone and read along. Um, so I'm not even going to go into again and again what Matthew 12, how Matthew 12, 37 relates to that. But that's how, and that's why. But um, beyond that, what Jesus, I think, is saying here is how important it is for us to embrace what it is he came to tell us, these red letters. That's where red letter Christianity is most uh, significantly backed up by Jesus himself, letting us know it's his words that um, are important. And in hearing his words and believing in him, our faith in him and our faith in standing on what it is he says, apart from what anyone and everyone else has to say inside and outside of the Bible, including our own selves, our own hearts, or maybe even our minds. Because remember, they're not the same thing, much less all the other voices that will um, enter the picture and trying to tell you what religion would have you believe. Jesus is letting us know in plain English it's what he has to say. It's his words. It's these red letters that will keep us from having to enter in a judgment, uh, facing that judgment day that uh, otherwise people will face and passing away from that uh, moment of death, that 99, it seems like, or somewhere around that percentage of people face in the world. But not everyone, because if you're Christians and believe what the Bible says, not everyone has died. So that doesn't have to be our outcome necessarily either. Uh, God willing, it won't be mine. God only knows if it will or won't be. But um, it doesn't have to be everyone's, absolutely everyone's in that sense. So death in that sense isn't an absolute um, any more than life is for everyone in the moment of life is supposed to happen. It doesn't always happen in that moment. Enoch for an example, in the, um, in the Old Testament. Elijah, for an example, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as John the Baptist, as we've gone over before, just as two rare examples. Jesus, who uh, faced death. Lazarus, who faced death. And according to the witnesses, Lazarus resurrected, presumably faced death again at some point. Jesus, who also faced death and resurrected as we believers believe him to be. But then also a world of people who um, face death, perhaps, or somehow otherwise are um, 
living or experiencing uh, the hereafter. For instance, even people wonder if pets have souls or if dogs go to heaven or if animals um, make it to heaven and so forth. I don't know whether they make it there or not, but we know they absolutely have souls. For instance, when Jesus encounters the pigs who are um, get demon-possessed, we know that those spirits or entities are able to overtake those animals, and those animals chose to kill themselves. That doesn't mean all animals who have spiritual possession are going to kill themselves. So I guess the good news is, yeah, animals can have spirits uh, in them, uh, the bad news is sometimes those spirits might be evil. Uh, so um, they, whether they have a soul or not, that I don't know. But they absolutely can have spirits, it seems, um, just as an example. And like I said, Jesus encountered the pigs uh, who had spirits in them. But then also people have been possessed by spirits according to what we've read here in the Bible. Back to the Bible, verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So Jesus is saying for a fact that there's a time coming, and then he says, and now is. So I think what he's saying is um, not a time coming for us in 2023 and beyond, but instead the time coming, and now is. So a time coming for the people in that moment, the people alive during his ministry. And then he's saying, and now is, meaning, and now this is where the page turns. So that here's when this is actually happening. This is all going down right now in the grand scheme of things, that the moment is right now where it's happening. And he's saying, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So he's saying, when the dead will hear his voice, Jesus himself, and that he's going to be recognized to even the dead, that what they're hearing, what they know, uh, what they're hearing coming from this one known as Jesus is the voice of the Son of God. So uh, the dead would, that's there to inform them, to enlighten them, to even give the chance of salvation and escaping damnation, presumably that place in Luke 16, where at least some people have already made it to, where they're already burning in hell. And we know that's a place that already exists, exists because Jesus tells us so. Jesus tells us up there's a place, not in this verse right here, but there's a place prepared. That means it's already set up for the devil and his angels. So that means it's already set up. It's already prepared. And who it's for? It's the, prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan himself and those spiritual beings that follow him or those entities, I should say, that follow him. But he says that's the same place, the same hell, uh, uh, presumably, but where there a uh, man who who didn't make it to where Lazarus went, the rich man, where he went, those flames. Um, presumably, it's the same place. If it's not, there's more than one um, uh, hell for people to end up in. Um, but back to the book. Jesus is saying that moment has come. That that, and I believe that's what he's saying. Um, that his ministry is accomplishing the moment where even the ones who are in that spiritual realm are able to witness and see what's happening on earth among the living. And we know that's possible by those spirits, those entities that um, ended up possessing and tormenting the people Jesus encountered, the people the wit the people witnessed 
the people that witnessed Jesus encountered them and exercised them from the people that were being tormented by them. Those same people, they're being tormented by something, by those evil spirits, those demons, if you will, um, that do exist and were um, cast out and facing Jesus in that moment. So presumably some of those same beings, some of those same spirits are able to witness what Jesus is bringing to the table and have a chance to escape that torment and find salvation also. That moment in time is happening right then is what I think Jesus is letting us know in verse uh, 25. Those people have a chance to make it to salvation and find salvation too, even in that moment. Um, now, whether or not, I say all that because maybe, because other religions say uh, that Peter, anyway, says that Jesus told them, apparently, that um, during the the time, the period between the death, his crucifixion and his resurrection, he went to the underworld. Um, so that's according to Jesus in the, I'm not Jesus, excuse me, according to Peter, somewhere in the New Testament, although it's not in red letters. And then it's also according to documents that didn't make it into the Bible in the Acts of Pilate, which we've read before, it was years ago now, um, that didn't make it into the Bible, known in, what, in what's known as the Apocrypha. Uh, if you've read with me before, you know where you can read that yourself. If it's your first time reading with me, you can read what we're reading along with me now in a digital version on the blueletterbible.org website. I'm using the New King James Version. Um, so you can see anything I'm saying to you, it's backed up right there in the scripture. Um, and then the um, other scriptures that you can read that didn't make it into the Bible that aren't going to be on the blueletterbible.org website can be found in the, um, the um, oh, what's it? oh, early, if you do a search for early Christian writings, um, that website, it has, it lists all of those and even a timeline where you can see where those different documents were dated back to. So you can get an idea of when things were uh, laid out and who had a hand in seeing what was included in scripture to be included, what was eventually known as the Bible in 1611. So anyway, um, back to what the scriptures, verse 26, for as the father is life in himself, so he's granted the son to have life in himself. So Jesus is saying the same power that God has to give life, Jesus has it. Verse 27, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the son of man. So Jesus is saying that power to pass judgment that people assume God has, no, it's been given to Jesus, and it's been given to Jesus, Jesus because he's the one who's gone through the effort of coming in the flesh as a human being and seeing just how tough the struggle is in dealing with the physical weather, hurricanes and heat, heat, heat waves, and the storms that he went through with the disciples and how it terrified them, and the losses of seeing people die went like Lazarus when he passed away. Not the same Lazarus and rich man, I don't think. Uh, but his friend, uh, Lazarus, whose sisters were Martha and Mary, that Lazarus, uh, dealing with the grief of, of, of how people perceive passing away to actually be and how it affects people and seeing how death, or how humans perceive death and how final it seems to humans and seeing how that affects them. Jesus going through all of that and seeing what that's like as a human 
gave him a unique perspective in the big picture of things that God Almighty wouldn't have had uh, just looking out down, down on things as God Almighty and not actually walking through it as a human would in the flesh as Jesus did. Um, so I think that's what it is Jesus is saying gives him the authority to execute judgment also because he understands what it's like to be human and have a love for another human being and that person betrayed them or uh, in the case of Judas or pretend they don't even know you in the case of um, uh, Peter or as in the case of any most transgender people go through a, play, a time where people deny they even know you just because they don't want to deal with the hassle of being known uh, knowing you. Um, so just as an example. Um, so um, people can relate to what it is uh, that Jesus is going to hear, through here. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. So Jesus is saying, oh, so in case you're wondering what I'm trying to tell you about the dead and their ability to hear and understand what's being uh, what's, what people in life are experiencing when they're experiencing Jesus in the flesh. Jesus is saying, no, I think what Jesus is saying, no, those people who you think of as dead, who are in the afterlife, are witnessing and seeing what it is Jesus is, is bringing to the table. They, they're seeing what's happening. They're seeing how the living are treating Jesus, how they're rejecting him, even though what we think of as evil spirits who would possess people and they get cast out by Jesus, exercised by Jesus in one instance, exercised by Jesus and um, cast out of the people and into the swine. And then the swine all committed suicide, um, letting us know, I believe, that people who commit suicide aren't necessarily damned to hell at all. But instead, maybe Jesus recognizes that just like the animals couldn't handle the demons, of their life that they uh, were dealing with, people sometimes can't either. So they commit suicide because those demons that they're facing are driving them to, and they are going to they are going to be held necessarily to a damnable uh, judgment either, any more than those pigs were that chose to um, find suicide as their way of dealing with the demons that were possessing them. So that's just my understanding of it all. Um, verse 28, so Jesus is telling us in verse 28, um, don't worry, that time is coming even for the people who are dead, who are already in the grave, where they're um, going to hear this same message and have a chance to make it out of that damnation, to find salvation, even if they've already passed on in this physical life. So again, uh, according to Peter and other documents outside of the Bible, Jesus went to that grave. Um, the grave and um, preached to people there and they found salvation. But I think what Jesus is saying here is that they're on that side able to see that now. Now, um, contemporary to Jesus' ministry now, not 2023 now. Um, but they are, maybe even, but in 2023 even now, uh, in the spiritual sense, they're able to see what's unfolding in the grand scheme of things. And Jesus is saying they are have there in Jesus' mission, even the people who passed on are having a chance at salvation. And verse 29, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 
So it seems what Jesus is saying, those people who've already passed on to this point in his ministry are going to have that moment of truth, a moment of judgment where they're going to have uh, and judgments up to Jesus. They're having their come to Jesus moment right then, even now. They're not waiting for some uh, even now in 2023 and forward moment to have some great white throne judgment as it's laid out in um, Revelation. Instead, Jesus, it seems, is saying that the dead, the people who are dead to that moment of this point in his ministry are having a moment even then in the afterlife, in the hereafter, in the grand scheme of things to decide for themselves if what they're seeing, what they see are experiencing or are able to perceive from Jesus and his words and his ministry, his healing people, his crucifixion his resurrection, if those things are enough to convince them, even now, in that moment then, um, if that's enough to convince them, they can find salvation even then. They are not waiting for some future moment to have a great white throne judgment. Um, they're not going to be a part of that. It seems they would already have had their judgment even now, according to what Jesus is saying. Verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying that moment of truth, that judgment day is happening for the dead um, to that point already. And um, and it's not going to be God passing the judgment. It's going to be Jesus passing the judgment. And the judgment is person by person. As he hears, he judges. So those entities, those spirits, those souls that have already passed on are facing a judgment right then uh, with Jesus' ministry happening and it's unfolding right then. So I think um, that's already happened. Those judgments are already happening uh, and Jesus is experiencing them, passing them, those judgments as he goes along along the way, person by person. And presumably in those crossroads that they face where they choose to believe or not. Um, maybe their religion too tells them that no, that's not the way. But we know other religions, besides just what we think of as Christianity, sought Jesus. Think of the nativity when the Magi from the East came to this foreign land seeking what they knew from their understanding of the grand scheme of things of religion in plain English is that where they were headed is where it's happening. That's where things are going to unfold regardless of what religion tells them to believe. Or in their case, particularly because their belief system told them to believe it, and it's outside of what we think of as our religion being the only way, because the Bible hadn't been formed yet. Yet they knew to go where they went, Bethlehem, to find the birth of the Savior. Verse um, 31. Let's see. Did I miss something with 30? Excuse me. Verse 31. Oh, so Jesus is, oh, this is the one I overlooked that. And Jesus' mission is to accomplish the will of what it is God would have him do. That's the entire point. This is one of the rare places where Jesus tells us what God's will is. Um, and his will here, Jesus is going to get into. Verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. So Jesus says, if he's tooting his own horn, pay it no attention. 
um, is that doesn't that doesn't that's not necessarily a truth. Just anybody can do that. Verse thirty-two. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So Jesus is saying he's not tooting his own horn. There's somebody else going around letting you know that he is who he is. Who is that? Verse thirty-three. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the person Jesus is referring to is made clear is John the Baptist. And the fact that they've gone to John Baptist, John the Baptist, wondering what it is he has to say about Jesus. Verse 34. Yet, I, and he had nothing good, nothing but good things to say about Jesus. He said, that's the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist had to say. Verse, um, among other things. Uh, verse 34. Yet, I do not receive testimony from man, but I say those, these things that you may be saved. So Jesus immediately lets them know, oh, here's someone who's reputable that you, if you need references to understand who it is I am, uh, John the Baptist, that's someone. But I'm not even going to take John the Baptist's reference. That's just another person. That's just the man's words. That's just another human being. And we have to keep that in mind, Jesus. Why Jesus would say that, I think, is because even John the Baptist, as wonderful as he is, as Jesus lets, as Jesus let us know, he who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. I think Jesus says that because in the case of John the Baptist, even his, even with his grand role in the big grand scheme of things, his big role in all of that, he's not perfect either. To save his own neck, I believe, instead of recognizing or maybe out of ignorance, he didn't recognize out of innocence in that case, he didn't recognize that he is Elijah who is to come. Jesus lets us know that John the Baptist is the Elijah who is to come if we're willing to receive it. He was here to hear, let him hear. Matthew um, uh, 1343, I think, and 44. It's, it's in the Gospels. Jesus letting us know, not only in another part of the Gospels, he lets us know he's in the spirit of Elijah. In that Gospel in particular, singularly, he lets us know if we're willing to receive it, um, not if we're willing to receive him. It, it, that's not what he says. It's not saying if they were willing to receive John the Baptist. They did. They were baptized by him. He's saying if we're willing to receive it, if we're willing to have an open mind enough to accept his teaching, then we can understand that he is John the Baptist in plain English, reincarnated as John the Baptist, just as one thing. But he, it, he denied that. And I think Jesus saying this is letting us know that even John the Baptist isn't perfect. John the Baptist was trying to save his own neck because it was the religious authorities who were breathing down his neck trying to get him to incriminate himself again according to these laws they have laid out so that they can find him unrighteous and find him. Of course, it didn't end up saving his neck, literally, because he still ended up being beheaded. Poor guy. Verse 35. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So Jesus is saying John the Baptist shined his light while he could, and y'all put it up with it. They put up with it for a while, uh, while they could. Verse 36, you know, until they beheaded him again. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is saying, well, if you need a reputable person as a, as a, as a uh, reference, 
like if you're applying for a job, you might, or a hotel, apartment, you need a reference. If you need a reference, John the Baptist is one. But another one is the fact that I'm performing these miracles. Um, you've witnessed them yourselves, so you just don't agree with whatever, for whatever reason. You don't agree with how I'm doing them or who's doing them, but you can't deny them. Um, but those, he's saying, Jesus is saying, also bear witness of me. And that's even greater than John the Baptist's witness because it's the Father, God Almighty, that's sending him, giving him the power to do those miracles. Verse 37, and the Father himself who has sent me, who sent me, has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. So that's huge. Jesus is saying that it's God Almighty that sent him on this mission. And he's saying that they've neither heard his voice nor seen his form. Well, then what were all those encounters in the Old Testament? Who were those? Who was it that wrestled with um, wrestled with uh, one patriarch, uh, sat down to eat with another one, uh, appeared to another one just before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? Who were all of those people interacting with if it wasn't God Almighty? Because Jesus just said in plain English, you neither heard his voice at any time. So that means whoever they were talking to wasn't God's voice. Presumably it was some intermediary, I guess, uh, some sort of angel, messenger, intervened in the, in, acting as the middleman. What about the person when we said, we saw Moses was saw God face to face. God would conversate with Moses face to face, not in obscurity, but face to face plainly. Jesus just told us plain English, We've neither heard his voice at any time. So not only all those other voices that people heard throughout the, the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, weren't the voice of God, including presumably when people say this is when the voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. Even presumably then, because Jesus said at any time. So even then, in those instances, where the, presumably the voice of God is being manifest, Jesus is making it clear. And we as Christians have to just either accept it as Christians or trying to um, rationalize it some other way. I just accept it. Jesus is making it clear that no matter how, what other means it is God may have used, some sort of intercom or angel or whatever the case may be, what people heard was not the voice of God, not directly the voice of God. It may still be the message of God, but it's not the voice of God, and it absolutely wasn't the form, the actual image, visual image of God. Jesus is saying it very clearly here. Neither heard his voice or seen his form at any time. So that means presumably any time in the past up until Jesus' time. God only knows since then, but clearly not seen his form or heard his voice. And that goes along with Luke 16. Where even though they both passed away, neither one was in the presence of God, the Father, or Jesus. And neither one was in the presence of the devil or Satan. One was in flames and the other one was chilling in Abraham's bosom. But neither one was in the presence of the Father, God, or the devil. Um, just as a note. Verse um, 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. So Jesus saying, the one whom he sent, Jesus, brought us a message, these red letters, um, yet people are unwilling to accept it. So you don't have God's word abiding in you. God's word 
Therefore, is what it is Jesus would have us know. These red letters, not the entire Bible, specifically these red letters. That's what Jesus brought, these red letters. And either we have them in us, and in that way, we have God's word abiding in us and are inviting, abiding in God, or we don't. And in that sense, either you believe or you don't. Verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So similarly, people search scriptures. They look through old scrolls. They look through the Apocrypha. They look through the Bible. They look through whatever religious documents they have or whatever their understanding of religion is to try and find God, to try and find salvation, to try and find eternal life. Jesus is saying those religious documents Whatever uh, name they're giving the Savior is him. He's that the answer to that. He's that life everlasting. He's that eternal life. Um, the, the scriptures, as we know them in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the different prophecies, whether they're in the book of Psalms, the book of Malachi, whatever different scripture, prophet, Moses, whichever one it is, even in Genesis, that point to um, the Savior, Jesus is saying, He's that savior. He's that one. Um, there, the different scriptures testify of him. He's saying that's yet another witness. He's saying um, if you're looking for these different references um, that you're looking to, um, there's reference after reference after reference, whether it's uh, his actions, whether it's John the Baptist, whether it's the Father allowing or not even allowing the Father fueling the miracles, whichever one you need, they're right there to test them, and they're all testifying of Jesus as that one, that Savior. Verse 40, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is saying you search through the different scriptures, your holy books, you went to John the Baptist, you do whatever it is you can to try and find God, and the different places you go are pointing to me. The miracles are pointing to me the sal that that salvation you're looking for is in me. Yet, because it's me, you're unwilling to come to me. You're unwilling to have that relationship with God because it's me that's offering it to you or at least showing it to you. Verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. Jesus is saying, I know you're thinking that it's because I'm clout chasing that that's why I'm doing all this, because I'm looking for you to praise me for it, of verse 42. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. So Jesus is saying, I'm not doing these godly acts because I think that some, some part of you that says you're about finding righteousness, being right with God, is seeking it actually. I know in reality, you're not actually concerned what it is God would have you do at all. You, you're all about that religious-ish. I know you're not actually about righteousness at all. Verse 43, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So that's an interesting verse because Jesus says is saying he's coming in the name of God Almighty, the Father, but he's not using, at least in this English translation of the word Father, He's not using any name like Yah or Yahweh or Yehovah or Jehovah or Yeshua or 
none of those names. He's just saying the Father. Jesus, in our English translations of the Bible, calls God God. He just did it in verse 42, even though preachers will tell you. He never calls Father God. He just did. He calls God God uh, there in verse 42. He calls God the Father God in one of the most popular verses, for God so loved the world. He's talking about the Father there. He's talking about the Father God. He's saying that he's recognizing there's nothing actual righteous in them in their pursuit of God, in their pursuit of righteousness. They're not actually concerned with that at all. For them, it's all about a show. And in the case, in the case of the people Jesus, Jesus is encountering here, it's actually how they enrich themselves. It's a business. Um, and in that sense, if another person comes in their own name, that person will be more accepted by them than someone who comes in the name of God Almighty, who comes in the name of the Father. Jesus, who came in the name of God Almighty, the same Father they claim to be uh, preaching and teaching and leading people to. That's supposedly what their job is, to lead people to God. Verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? So Jesus is saying, how can you possibly find faith, actual real faith, when what your whole belief system is about is pray, getting praise from each other and getting likes from each other and being popular with each other, not actually being popular with God. You're not actually concerned. They're not actually concerned what it is God thinks of as righteous to do. They're concerned with being popular with each other. Verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. So Jesus is saying when it comes to judgment and a sort of judgment day, that Jesus isn't, don't, they don't have to worry about Jesus pointing the finger to them and uh, calling them out to God. Instead, the person, the entity, the energy that's going to be calling them now out in their judgment day, their judgment day, is Moses, the one who they're supposedly touting and using as their resource, the same way we in modern times abuse the Bible as our resource of righteousness and what to go to in uh, finding what it is God would have us know. They have Moses. They have the scrolls, the uh, scriptures, uh, the five books of Moses, among other things, including the prophets and the Psalms that they use uh, as their reference system, the same way we use the Bible. Jesus is saying their reference system, Moses, that they're going to point to as their way out is going to be one of the same resources, persons, entities that's going to accuse them and point the finger at them and give them the thumbs down in uh, plain English. Um, let's see. And it's, uh, it, that's the source that they're trusting to save them and, and call what they're doing righteous. Verse 46, for if you believe Moses... For if you believe Moses, you will believe me. For he wrote about me. So Jesus is saying, if you really are being faithful to what it is you're saying you're faithful to, the teachings of Moses, even though they actually know that all the things that they call the writings of Moses, the five books of Moses, are not at all from Moses because Moses passes away. In the first book, he dies. 
even though some people will read it right there that he dies and then turn around and say they don't believe he died, that he was transfigured. No, it says he died and was buried by God. So um, his burial place is unknown according to the narrative, but he absolutely died according to the narrative. Yet some religions will have you believe otherwise, and they'll bark it at you till you do believe it. And some people will actually believe it, even though it says that right there. So it's saying right here, Jesus is letting us know right here in red and in red letters uh, that if you really are being faithful to one of the things that it is Moses taught, the things that it is Moses preached and said, then you would believe the things that Jesus is saying. Because in some of the instances of the things that Moses said, he prophesied, pointed to Jesus. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So one of the things about his writings that Jesus is referring to here, Moses' writings that Jesus is referring to here, is knowing concerning the doctrine. Another place that Jesus mentions to us is the will of God, is to know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So in other words, to know when it comes to what it is we think of as religion or doctrine or the way to get to God, is to know whether those things are things that Jesus actually said as Christians or things that are just teachings of other people, men's words, people's uh, dogma, just religion, worthless religion, or not even worthless necessarily, but religion that you don't necessarily have to hold on to, things that don't necessarily mean life to you, um, or to figure out whether those, which one of those things, which one of those categories things fall into and that that's our mission in knowing what the will of God is um, and to have life everlasting those are the things that Jesus calls our uh, God's will as Christians but that is the last verse in this reading so that's where I'll end this um, episode of the Naked Truth I'll thank you for joining me and I'll thank you also for um, your prayers just in case you knew her um, I just recently found out a um, transgender friend of mine is passed away. I don't know the uh, circumstances surrounding her passing. You know, I do know she is also, was also, is also a past survivor of violence directed at her for being transgender um, at a different, uh, at a nightclub, a different club than I was uh face that kind of violence at, <clears throat> excuse me, a different surrounding setting altogether. But in her instance, um, she survived that, but that was years ago, but now she's passed away. I knew her as Tatiana um, uh, or Miss Tati, um, but I'll also include a link in case you knew her as something else in the description box of this um, video on this platform, Anchor, that is along with this video, just in case you knew her also as something else. Some also knew her as Miss Howard. That's what she was known as before we both trans tra began our um, transition. That was a long time ago, um, uh, with a few eight years difference between us, but around the same time we both started out. But I'll include a link to um, her, um, um, what I know about her passing in the description box of this video, um, this podcast. But. Also, I'll thank you for joining me, and I hope you'll join me again. Love you, and see you next time. Peace be with you.